words unsaid, just lonely feelings left away in my head. Hello guys and welcome back to the Consensus Podcast. Um, I'm back after a week off. I was um, enjoying myself in Legoland, so that was an interesting time, yes. Um, And yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, the election for the new Speaker of the House and um, general election madness. Um, So first of all, you need to get in touch with us. Um, make sure you hashtag the consensus podcast um, and have a chit chat. We can, you know, have a little bit back and forth um, and make sure you follow us um, on at the underscore consensus underscore um, on Twitter, Instagram. Um, and yeah. So before we get started, we need to introduce ourselves. Um, I'm Desi Bequer. I am a Labour Party member. And to my left. I'm Tosin Adedayo. I'm a Conservative. I almost said Labour. God forbid. <laughs> she didn't introduce me on the left. I was conservative. Yeah, exactly. I'm a conservative party member. Um, yeah, that's me. Um, I'm Mel. I'm a Liberal Democrat member. Normally, my colleague Julia would be standing in. Um, would be doing this week's episode, but she's busy being a councillor. Um, so I'm uh, standing in. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. Thanks, Mel. Thank you. We missed you, by the way. We yeah. missed you guys. It's nice right. to see your face. We love Jules, but you know, we yeah. missed you. Sometimes it's a nice bit of flavour. <laughs> Switch it up a bit. <laughs> and my name is Aziz Munnar and I represent the Green Party. I'm the chair of the Greens of Colour Group. And I'm also about to be announced as the candidate for the Dagnum and Raynham seat um, in Essex. So I'll Girl, be standing you, as don't. a general election candidate. Come on. Come on, come on. Ooh. Oh, we shouldn't be clapping. Like the speaker. Oh, like yeah, the speaker. Yeah. Yep. Here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. here. Order. Wait, wait. Order. Well, that takes us on to our first topic. Okay, so I don't know if you can um, hear it in the background, but you can maybe be able to hear some fireworks because we're recording this on the 5th of November, which is Guy Fawkes Night. And in my head, I thought that was like really apt because we're talking about the speaker um, of the House of Commons who, you know, um, defends parliament. Um, and it's the same night that Guy Fawkes tried to blow up parliament and, you know, you know, we prevailed. Um, <laughs> we, um, the people that were there, the white people that were there at the time. She said white. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. I mean, like David Olasogo has told us that there were black people in Britain, whatever. Um, so yeah, I think the a good starting point would be, will you miss John Burkow? I mean, it won't be the same. The theatrics, I feel. Mm. I, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, I feel is... A very competent, very good speaker. He, I think he will have um, the capacity to do a good job. But um, I think John Burko did very well in sort of making it dramatic. And, yeah. You know. He really leaned Ugh. into that. That's, what, that's the thing. But the thing is, like, politics, like, Parliament obviously is there to legislate, but also Parliament is a little bit of, like, a is a little bit of a pantomime, <laughs> you know? And he really leaned into it. He was like, I know it is. And, you know, order and, like, like reading people. <laughs> Wait, what? You know when he's like called Peter Bone? He's like, Mr. Peter Bone. <laughs> it's remixed on YouTube. Yeah, it's like, Mr. Peter Bone, Mr. Peter Bone. Bambos, Charalambos. Order, calm yourself, man. <laughs> You're a very good boy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yes, in a way I will miss the theatrics of it, but obviously like he loves himself. He's very, he's got huge ego 
for a very small man. But um, he just loves, he loves the limelight. He loves it being all about him. I think I read like a stat um, that showed that John Burko, in comparison to his predecessors who have held the role of speaker, he, I think like the highest number, like the percentage of speaking time um, the speakers have had the, the one closest to his was like one percent, and his is like two point five percent. Yeah, like, at least he made it about yeah. him, and which is really not what the speaker's role should be, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And according to like convention, like, sure. it shouldn't yeah. be about him. No, I agree. I think what he's done though is, um, apart from his constitutional role, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, is I think really raised the profile of part of the House of Commons more specifically and parliament as a whole through his theatrics and mm. his you know but do you think he did a good job of keeping parliament in order because obviously that's a huge part of being a speaker you should be able to command the respect of the house um and i don't feel that he did command the respect of the house i think the house is probably more rowdy than mm. you know in previous years and i i don't know is that his fault or i think that's a fair point to make but i think you know he exists in a very toxic context like a toxic political culture whether mm. or not he contributed to that is definitely up for debate mm. um but i do feel that he's more of a symptom of what's happening in politics rather than perhaps the cause, cause. Of it. yeah um before we Get onto it. I don't know if someone wants to explain um, to the um, to the listeners um, what the historical role of the speaker is and what he. And obviously, we've spoken about the fact that he's very. He's got. Yes, he um, <laughs> got my notes. <laughs> oh, you're you're prepped and primed. She's ready. So go off. <laughs> I I love this stuff. I love history. I was a history student, so this was great. Um, so the role of the speaker actually started in the year. 1258. Mm-hmm. Um, the first speaker was Peter de Montfort, who was an English nobleman descended from Norman uh, nobility, blah, blah, blah. Um, but basically, he presided over what was known as the Oxford Parliament, which was when a group of the nobility got together because they weren't very pleased with how the king at the time um, was running the country. And they managed to get some concessions and oversight to his rule. So this sort of became thematic of the role between Parliament and the crown over the centuries um, until... Um, well, for a while, the speaker was kind of seen as an agent of the crown in that they were on the side of the monarch and against the role of parliament and mm. sort of franchise and political expression, you could say, for what passed as political expression back in the 14th, 15th century. Mm. Um, very different, very different to now. Um, this changed in the 17th century when tensions between parliament and the king at the time, King Charles I, really came to a head and, of course, erupted into the civil war. Um the, the king, uh, King Charles, marched into Parliament, furious that they wouldn't do his bidding in terms of taxation and religion. And he wanted to arrest five of the troublemakers. Um, he went to the speaker, who he thought was on side or assumed would be on side or at least be compliant, um, and basically demanded the whereabouts of these five men in order to arrest them, to which the speaker replied that he was a servant of the house and he had I think not eyes nor a tongue. He cannot speak or see were it not for Parliament to tell him what to do, basically. So just, mm. you know, go away. I'm not on your side. Um, and from there on, I guess the Speaker has been seen as a champion of Parliament in many mm. ways, a champion particularly of the backbenchers. Mm. Um, so for those of you who don't know, a backbencher is an MP of any party who is not in government and not in the shadow cabinet front bench. So someone who is, you know, literally they sit on the backbenchers. Um, and yeah, he's sort of seen as their champion uh, further to that, the, the speaker's crucial role is to preside over debate and also interpret 
um, the political constitution um, or the, the official rule book of parliament, which is known as Erskine May. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if anyone else has anything to... That was really good. <laughs> oh, that, that was, was so really comprehensive. Love that. And I guess another aspect to the role of the speaker is his, his or her role as um, chief administrative officer. So essentially the speaker looks after the House of Commons. So for example, some of the things that is speculated that Lindsay Hoyle will be looking at, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, um, is um, things around, um, I don't know, some of you might have heard rumours about Parliament being um, refurbished mm, because yeah. the building's fallen apart. So stuff like that, he would be looking after and like managing the budgets to it. In effect, sometimes he might be seen as sort of the, um, like a chief people's, like mm. officer executive. so he's hr he's um... kind of yeah <laughs> kind, kind of yeah like he makes parliament like the workings of parliament run yeah and he or she lives in would live in the palace as well so they are <clears throat> i think after the prime minister in terms of like hierarchy of public servants after the prime minister the speaker come and the small prime minister and the lord chancellor um the speaker is next in terms of who are the most senior officials yeah. in the United Kingdom, which I think mm. is quite important. Yeah, like, I mean, it's a really big, role. important role. Yeah, mm. and I was kind of there's um, things that John Burke did that kind of relates to that. So the um, the fact that he like instituted a crash like in um, the, mm. in the parliamentary yeah. estate, um, the speaker's parliamentary um, internship scheme, those sorts of things that he like sponsors and supports. Yeah. Like, it's quite interesting that they have. Um, that kind of power beyond like simply yeah. um, mm. shouting order and making sure people don't like shout at each other in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I also find it found it really interesting because of us being, you know, eight black um and mixed race women on this podcast, just to note the fact that there's actually only been one speaker, mm. a female speaker, should I say. Mm. Um, and her name was Bethy Betty. Boothrod. Did I get right? Boothroyd. Boothroyd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I just found that really, really interesting. Like in the, what, 600 years of there being a speaker, yeah. there's been only one. Actually, there's also the first, while Beth, Betty is the first like speaker, mm. the first woman to ever um, sit in the chair of speaker is, uh, oh God, I've forgotten her name. She was a conservative. Um, and she was deputy speaker. So actually. she was addressed oh. as Mr. Deputy Speaker. Was she? Yeah, she That's did not. She did not choose Madam. She went for Mr. Deputy Speaker. Well, she actually like when I was reading up on her, she seemed like that kind of woman. That's a bit like when she got her um, peerage, she decided to take her husband's name. Like she just seemed yeah. kind of like a weird woman. <laughs> like just diff- a different type of woman. With the patriarchy yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's just. You know, cool. With Lex Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you? So. <laughs> do you? So what do you, like, go, kind of going back to, I don't know if that's, like, kind of going back to um, John Burkow and his legacy, like, I wonder what you think about people who say that he was actually not uh, impartial, as impartial as they would hope. So there's a lot of Tories that think he's a turncoat. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just I, kind of wonder. I don't, do you know what? I don't think there are as many Tories that think he's a turncoat as people suggest. Wait, what do we mean by the expression turncoat? Like he um, sort of is a like traitor, like he was a conservative and then now he's support or see, appeared to support Labour Party and the other parties to the disadvantage of the conservatives who are the governing party. Because the conservatives actually didn't want him to be speaker. Mm. So they wanted um, Sir George Young to be speaker um, in 2009 
um, after the M- MPs scandal, expenses scandal. Yeah. So this like goes. This is this the thing about John Burko's speakership is is because it's like murdering lots of scandal and you know why the the previous speaker left just because it was caught in the expenses scandal. Anyway, so and the previous speaker Martin. Michael Martin. Michael Martin, thank you. Um, he was Labour. And the way that it used to run is you'd have a Labour that sort of alternated. Yeah, yeah Labour Conservative, Labour Conservative. Um, so they wanted... Anyway, so Michael Martin was Labour. So they thought the House sort of wanted a Conservative speaker. And then they um, Conservative wanted Sir George Young to, to be speaker. However, because he just had a recent like position at the front bench as a conservative minister, um, they decided actually probably he's not as impartial. He exactly. Mm. And he didn't understand the backbenchers as much. Right. So um, the conservatives weren't actually happy with John Burko's speakership. So he was propped there by Labour Party members. So they don't think of him so much as a tanker. They they hated him already. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, we kind of expected this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, what do we think about uh, John Burkow and his like role within Brexit? So like kind of coming off the back of that and the like uh, allowing the Grieve Amendment. I can't remember. What, mm. Like what do you? I mean, what it's been do, a it's been a whole saga, hasn't it? Yeah, because um, I think there was um, his wife had a um, a bollocks <laughs> oh to Brexit my God. sticker. His wife is a whole nother podcast. Do you know what? I'm Sally the Stallion. Yeah. <laughs> She's actually like Westminster's hot girl. Like this woman She's does had not everyone. care. She's actually. I, like, I have a. St- I have a. St- anyway, I always have every stories. Every time. Okay. Oh, I just meant that she just like she's very carefree. Like she doesn't care. Like she I actually. Mean, carefree is one way of putting it. But yeah, it sure. was her car. <laughs> yeah, I actually like. Oh, I don't know. Sally's just like she's just I mean, doing this it is for a great like, time to sip some water. I don't tea, even understand what you're like, trying to understand what Do you she's not insinuating. Read all the stuff about Sally. No. Burger. Like she won a number celebrity. No, there's like <laughs> lots of lots of stories about her and sleeping with like lots of people. Oh, that's not what I meant. I just meant oh, like she's okay, just like a hot right. girl, like just living her life, you know. Oh, my bad. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. I need to open my own like Westminster gossip, like you blog. and Marie Lacondi. Girl, yeah, Marie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard about Sally Burke? <laughs> um, no, but I just meant that like. Um, some people thought he was frustrated in Parliament. I'm just kind of curious about what you guys think about that. I think you could say that he probably stretched or he explored the limits of his constitutional role. Um, but, you know, I think what what's we've seen is a lot of... If, if the way that he reacted to things or the way that he proactively moved on particular amendments or, you know, allowing Parliament to take control of the House. They had their indicative votes on which kind of version of Brexit or Mm. not Brexit they'd like. It was definitely very interesting constitutionally. Like, I feel sorry in a way, but also excited for the students who are yet to be born. Yeah. (laughs) Going through and reading all this and thinking, did this actually happen? Mm. Um, So, you know, I do think that he probably stretched the limits of what was appropriate. But I do think that if he was able to interpret the the conventions in the way that he did and it worked then I think he was within remit to do what he did but he was certainly creative I'm in two minds about it so one way yes I do think that he was he definitely showed favoritism because he came out to explicitly say that he voted remain and he supported remain in the referendum um which obviously Mm. kind of makes everyone think that he's going to favor certain 
political direction as opposed to others. So conservatives definitely thought, yes, he's going to, he's whatever he did was favoring the Remain campaign, mm. which can be true or wrong, whatever. But the other part of it is he also um, gave a lot of power to the backbenchers, mm. um, specifically at a time where it might have been viewed that that the government or the executive was trying to avoid parliamentary scrutiny, mm. um, you know, like trying to make sure parliament didn't vote on certain um, bills or amendments and things like that, which John Burko was very, very strong, was strongly against and actually tried to get parliamentarians to, to have a say mm. before so that the government wouldn't sort of circumvent the parliamentary <clears throat> procedures. So in that way, I kind of agree with, I kind of can see that he had a greater good in mind. And also he, I think, probably is the speaker with the, that has gone to the highest number of urgent questions. Mm, yeah. So urgent questions, for some of you who may not know, um, is when the speaker allows um, a backbench, sometimes the opposition, opposition party, or an MP to summon um, a minister to come into parliament to speak on a specific topic. So, for example, when... Um, Let's say Thomas Cook, when that happened, that's so random. When Thomas Cook happened, um, when went insolvent, um, an MP would have, for example, in that scenario, an MP would have put in an urgent question so that a minister had to appear in parliament and tell them what's happening and what the government's plan is. Um, so in that way, he did give a lot of power to the backbenchers, um, which which can be a good thing or a bad thing. We, we won't know, I think, mm. until mm. like we give it five to 10 years and we'll see what effects has actually had yeah, um, in parliament but yeah I think it's definitely too soon to to give mm. a clear opinion on, on what it means does he yeah. use well much of you might know my views on this um, <laughs> as much as I'm really interested in politics there be- there comes a limit and I think <laughs> the detail of like the speaker and what he's about as much as you have explained it now and I'm like mm, really interesting like on a day to day the speaker and what he does and says and how he says it in parliament doesn't affect my life, right? And so the things that I am most interested about when it does come to politics and parliament is like how MPs are respected or they're viewed because I think the nature of politics is such a muddied term and it's seen as such a um, a thankless task in a way. So like being an MP or being a politician is never seen as something that some people really look to and say, you know, they really do try hard for us. Like, or the majority, should I say the majority of, of, of the UK, like don't always see politicians as doing the best for them. And I think so that's most important to me when we are thinking about politics as a whole and like what that representation is. And given the speaker's role and how people have turned on and watched um, Parliament and, and PM questions and just seen how crazy it looks, um, to me, only exemplifies that negative nature, that ne- negative connotation that people have when they think about politics. And I think perhaps if anything, I would have liked to see that I would like to see the new speaker being more um, cracking down on that. I know it's quite, you know, humorous to some and like part of like that spirit or that old boys um, club. But I mm. think if we think about the responsibility that politicians have um, and the the respect that they should have, from from people watching parliament 
just looks ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the speaker should do more to like ch- try to train, try and change yeah. that image and make it more more inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's yeah. the thing. Like with um, and I wanted to get onto this is about um, what you think, um, sir. I don't mind No no Because I think that's That's the kind of thing Because you talk about The amount of power That they have Even beyond like Parliamentary Mm. But that's obviously A key part of it Because I know Harmon Was running on a um, Harriet Harmon Was running on a platform Of um, of um, wanting to kind of engender more respect for each other in the house and stop like finger pointing and stuff like that. Mm. But I just wonder what sorts of things do, would you like if you had a wish list for the speaker? What sorts of things would you? And again, like I appreciate that it's not something that people think about day to day. Like yeah. actually, according to um, I had a look at Hansard and um, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, I mean that is me in my job. But yes, <laughs> we say that. But actually, I think it does affect day to day, but it's probably not as. Obviously, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like when we talk about Brexit and the influence he's had, he has had a lot of influence in shaping the way Brexit, the Brexit policy of the of the government. Yeah, and I think whilst that's not obvious, he's not making a policy announcement, mm. but I think he does have a lot, uh, quite a huge role in shaping policy in a like. way. And also, I think his constituents might, you know, care. yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, because now they don't have a inverted commas a voice in parliament mm. so they don't have someone to speak up and say uh mr speaker my constituent blah 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 like they don't have that anymore yeah. so i guess for some people whilst no one really thinks about it like if you ask the average person they're like what is a speaker first of all mm. before you even get to who is the speaker um but i think if if he's your constituency mp yeah you, you would care and just on that point you know you guys mentioned the fact that he um was instrumental instrumental in bringing in crushes um and you asked about like what would you want to see the the speaker do i think there's so much that can be done for um workers rights within parliament Mm -hmm. and um people who work in mps offices that should be taken forward and really be championed to another level and like the the treatment of um the catering staff and the cleaning staff Mm -hmm. etc and just having that level of respect run through parliament is something that we should see more of like it should Although it is a, a beautiful building and it's steeped in so much history, there's more that we could do to like support the people that work there. And I think that often does get overlooked. And given the fact that that, they're, that that's particularly his role, then we should be miles ahead of where we are now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, <clears throat> everything about the rituals that happen, because it is rich, it is rituals. Um, the start of the day starts with a speaker's procession where they shout hats off strangers and it's a, it's an old <laughs> it's an old tradition and it's ridiculous like they ring the bells if you're late to work you have to stop and wait for him to walk by and the chaplain and everyone else and it's you know it's very interesting and it's a great spectacle but that's that's what it is and our it's ridiculous when you think that our politics rests on so many different spectacles I mean if you if you go into the chamber and you see the chair that he sits in they years obviously decades and decades and centuries ago they used to um if the speaker had to go to the toilet, he couldn't leave because he was chairing the debate. So he'd pull a curtain around the chair and the rest of the MPs would take a dump right there. He would take a dump right there. All the MPs would go, uh, so they couldn't hear it. Love to see it, love to see it. They should bring that back. That's so funny. I just think that's a good (laughs) metaphor. It's just, it acts as a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, like, I'm just like, I'm actually so immature. Guys, don't say we don't bring you the tea. Like, we're giving you juicy content. (laughs) I don't know if we want to talk about taking a dump and juicy in the same (laughs) (laughs) Burkhardt looks like he has a poor diet anyway (laughs) Anywho (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah, I think for me What I would like to see So like John Burkhardt was um, dogged with a lot of um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Bullying. Yeah, like allegations mm. of bullying and um, not just like to his own staff, as well as, you know, there was that Andrea Letzum, like he and Andrea oh Letzum hate each other so much. <laughs> she's she's a bad B. Shout out to Andrea Letzum. Anyway, um, when he supposedly called her a stupid woman in parliament. That was the best exchange. I think that, yeah, she, she's, oh, she's a queen. Anyway, but, I would like to see a different type of politics where I sound like Jeremy Corbyn, but like where (laughs) people (laughs) people aren't like, like the speaker isn't embroiled with allegations of bullying. When you're supposed to uphold standards in parliament, where you're telling people that you're there to foster good relationships and we should all respect each other. And you yourself are dogged with allegations of bullying your own staff and Mm -hmm. dogged with allegations of being misogynistic I mm. think or being a misogyny just misogynist um I think that that's not really a good place to start mm. I think mm. I definitely want to see um Celine Zihoyle I think th- he seems like a really nice guy like and everything that everyone said has been really nice and you know the conservatives supported him yeah um yeah. but it was maybe. like a cross party yeah I think I think I can yeah. Yeah. oh it's exactly. full circle wow look at that Roll credit. I feel like <laughs> Lindsay Hoyle is like the human version of like corn thin like just very inoffensive as a human yeah. being. Like, like he just seems like a sweet dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> did you see his photo over the weekend oh when God, he was playing oh rugby? He has he has a tortoise called um, Maggie, a parrot called Boris, and a dog named Gordon, and it's they're all named after like politicians. I'm That's like, so I hope he brings them to Parliament. I want to see sad. them. I'm like, what is going on? Um, oh, and also, sad news: his daughter died earlier this year. Yeah, that was really was, that was really sad. Oh. And then that showed me how much people like how much of a great person he was because the way MP sort of rallied around him and like sent like messages of sympathy I think that was really sweet and I think that endeared him to me I didn't really think of him until that happened I think that was like at the start of this year yeah it's just mm. I guess um, hammer time again just tragedy touches everyone yeah. and you still have to get up in the morning and, and how human yeah go and to work this. and do that and such a high, high profile role but mm. I think um what we were just talking about now reminded sort of brought me back to what you were saying Aziz earlier about how PMQs and like the hostile atmosphere and I think it is you know you can only really behave as well as the chair of your debate behaves right. they do set the standard yeah um so yeah, I thought that was I think really that's, a, that's interesting definitely an interest, is interesting to see what um, Sir Lindsay Hoyle does. <laughs> um, and I think that um, one thing that was really good about Burke, and we said this, is how bullish he was in terms of defending backbenchers. And I just want to see that continue. Um, and also insulting backbenchers. Oh, oh gosh, listen. That, that, <laughs> they, should, they should be a book of like put downs. But him, and, <laughs> him and Gove, when he starts talking about him at parents' money. evenings, I was just like, oh my God, go off. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I should say there's one thing that John Burko is actually really like nice for. So one of my pro something I work on pro bono is um on dyspraxia, and one of John Burko's children has dyspraxia, um and he was actually like he offered to open his um the speaker has a residence as we mentioned um for an event which I thought that was really sweet and mm, you know that is good that's that is a nice, nice thing yeah. to do um especially like when you're suffering from something personally yeah. and to try and help other people mm. so yeah like one of my colleagues is um part of a group of, of female MP and um, female staffers it's called they have a group called women in Westminster mm. um where they try and you know um share expertise because they know it's very difficult for girls of particular women and girls of particular backgrounds to get into working in parliament it's often luck it's often just you know a mixture of graft and a whole other lot of things um so they work to make sure that you know cvs and everything is sort of you have the experience or you can showcase your experience to get these roles and he he was very supportive of that so you know he's everyone's complicated yeah yeah Yeah. it's definitely complex legacy yeah yes 
Um, I think that's a good place to leave this on because we're going to be talking about. Um, bye, Burko. Bye. bye. Oh, oh, just a just a point though. Yeah, yeah. Like him leaving is the only thing that has happened and said it was going to happen in politics and actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Burger for giving us wow. some consistency in our lives. <laughs> I was like, that's, he's that's actually leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you know what? Yeah. I actually didn't think he was going yeah. to because I didn't See? really, because he yeah. said it and yeah. I was just like, okay. He said it before. And then as well, I'm like, yeah, yeah. he didn't leave. He should have extended his, his time. No, Given himself have. an extension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. enough. The evil you've done in this <laughs> I don't agree with that. <laughs> Oh, but is it sorry, just to drag this on a bit more. Mm. So normally when you um when a speaker stops, mm. steps down, they're offered a peerage and they become a crossbencher because they're, you know, they've left their political identity mm. behind, but they're still parliamentary. Um, so for example, uh, Betty Boothroyd sits in the House of Lords. Um, she actually attended the debates yesterday and everyone was like, oh my gosh, oh, a former speaker watching new speaker debates. Um, <laughs> but, so but John Burko, because he's just inflamed so many of the so many of the people who would Sorry, the government who give peerages. He's getting now. Yeah, he's getting now. Good. Wow. He's Lord so he of better hearts, be praying for, for he, he better be praying for um, Jeremy Corbyn so he can get his peerage. Do you think Jeremy Corbyn will give him a peerage? Yeah, definitely. Hands down. Oh, did you guys hear about the um he's supposed to, I'm a celebrity? Yeah, he, he, he 100% He 100% If he goes into that Oh my god I'll be so watching it For the like, first time in four so, years um, Last week um, There was like an article That said John Burko Demanded Demanded To be paid a million pounds To go into the jungle Why politicians do it um, And then And then he said I didn't I didn't demand this I bet you Any money he did Like he loves that sort of stuff And his wife would love That kind of stuff Definitely did And just because They didn't pay him He denied it there it is. Sorry. It's a story, to be honest. Like, I don't know if I believe. Wait, where did you see it? No, that was actually, it was like discussed on the Today program. It was in the newspaper. It was on the Today program. Yeah. Like, there the, was an article about John Burko standing down. Um, he was, he requested to be paid a million pounds to go into the, to, to the, the jungle. jungle. And then his office said, denied it, that he never oh, agreed so to funny. do it or never requested a million pounds. I would actually love if that happened. I feel like he'd oh, be God. such a good celebrity. I, I want to see him as strictly come down. <laughs> oh God, no! The, 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 his agent, become his agent. Listen, the indignity. Like it's one thing to go into the jungle to watch like politicians dance. It's honestly Ed like Wolf, I can't never bear it. That. Like I cannot bear oh, it. You held Ed once held high office. Have some respect for yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, look at Ed Miliband and Ed and Ed Balls. Look at I love Ed Miliband now. though. Shouts out to him. Yeah, this podcast is going strong. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, so, let's make sure we at him though, so he can follow us. Ed Miliband. Yeah. Do you remember? Since I was 16, when that Millie Fandom thing came out, I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. What happened? You know that video? Sorry, I'm a walking meme. So, you know that video where like everybody bands in like a urban, I don't know, black area, and then they're like, oh, Ed, it's my man Ed. Ed, what are you saying? And he's like, I'm saying hi. <laughs> He's actually a That's national one of treasure. My things. God bless that man. Oh my god. Um, yes, I'm tossing off. <laughs> Am I tossing tuss- off? Do you remember when that was like the, the height of scandal I in elections? Like eating a bacon <laughs> no, sandwich no. was like, oh my god, you don't deserve to be our prime minister. No, no, the picture of him, the picture of him at the door oh. <laughs> from the inside. Oh, that. <laughs> Do you remember the the Edstone? Too pure. The stupid oh. stone. The Edstone. Oh. <laughs> sorry, guys. We're he laughing about us. like stuff that happened in 2003. No, but. It's still re- it still resonates. It's a, it was a simpler time. Can I just say finally that me and my friends still have you seen his um, interview with Russell Brand? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just wrong. Yeah, it's just, just wrong. It's just not, not true. To this day, it's just, it's just not, it's just wrong. To this day, me and my friends do that. I see like, that as well. It's just, it's just wrong. It's just not true. It's just, it's just like, it's just like wrong. I think, do you know what? Like, this is actually a good segue to the next point because that was, that was 2015. That professionalism from Tosin. <laughs> that 2015, yeah, that was like, that was, it was Peak banter. British politics. Yeah, Remember, it was, it's man. like David Cameron debate me one on one. Like, <laughs> It was fun. Like, we could never go back to those days. No, I, I saw so many forums in that election. Just so many of them rolling up their sleeves. I'm in a hospital. I'm in a warehouse. Oh, Isn't like the Natalie Bennett. Ed, it's my turn to speak now. Like, that was... We would never, we would never get that anymore. Baroness Bennett, now in the House of Lords. Exactly, really, big up, big up. Really, it's really sad. Like, this is a... St- like, this election, like, I don't know how you feel, Aziz. It just feels really scary as well. Yes. Like, with all the abuse. Like, then, that was the height of abuse. Like, you can't eat a sandwich. <laughs> no, you can eat a sandwich. Just stop eating it like you've never seen a sandwich before. Just be careful if there's cameras. Like, just Just don't eat in public. Like, <laughs> and then David Cameron came out to eat with a knife and fork. Yeah. What did he eat with a knife and um, fork again? Was it a burger? It like it was or something. Yeah, it was a some, burger. It was, like, it was so like, godless. It was like a 20, <laughs> 20 pounds burger or something. But the, like you said, like we won't have that kind of balance because it's so high stakes. And obviously so it was fun. high stakes then, but like right now it feels like like what is gonna happen. Yeah, that was truly and, summer. Yeah. That was like we, I am happy to rewind. Yeah, to, like 2015. <laughs> that felt really nice, actually. So, do you remember, like, everyone in Parliament, they'd be like, long term economic plan. And and PMQs was actually fire. It was banter. It was fun to watch. And now it's just so and angry. And we were talking about like, issues. The future ones. Like, we were, yeah. Yeah. So I remember I first ever stood um, as a general election candidate in 2015. And I had only been part of the Green Party probably like six months prior. Oh, but I was fired. Like, the passion, mm. the vigor, like mm. the arguments, that the points that we were talking about, like, um, yeah, like investing in nuclear or HS2 and the billions of pounds that are going to get spent or mm. not privatizing NHS now, that, that those felt like real debates. Yeah. Like now it just feels like political point scoring. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels like, oh, let's just say NHS and money. And then hope someone. And then they're going to vote for us. Yeah. That's literally want. it though. That's literally yeah. it. Labour just adds privatisation and selling our NHS to the America. And then Conservatives is, we are the real party of the NHS. And the Lib Dems are like, yeah, no what Brexit, are the Lib Dems? <laughs> no yeah. Brexit. And then and the stop. Greens are like, stop fracking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all, like all the different policies. Stop, stop. <laughs> Stop fracking. That's your point. Like, that was random. <laughs> exactly. That's what you guys care about. Frack babies and stuff. Fracked babies. Yeah. Like, do you not remember like those people growing up? Ex- exactly. Yeah. So she, I, see, I, she I know, knows I know what you mean. Their, I, just, people. I just won't agree, obviously, because we've been talking about austerity and scary privatization. Yeah. I'm just being years ago. Yeah. But, but yeah. yeah. So like, I think um, it's, very unpredictable because there's so many there's going to be fra- like I was saying that if there's not a minority government like I'll literally swallow my foot like a pill like I swear to god like there will be I kind of want to see that <laughs> no but like how do you like what do you think is going to happen because it's like it's um you know Labour is fending off the Lib Dems then you have Tories and the Brexit party and the Lib Dems what do you Dems have denounced Labour well, how do you think Labour are going to fare in this election um I think better than people think they are <laughs> Ooh, I did the same that. thing. Sorry, I just have a flu. Like, just... What do you mean? Did you cough? <laughs> Is everything, everything okay? Yeah, everything's all right. Um, right with you. Hey. I just think it's it's so fractured, and I think we're. Um, 
I think we're quite strong and we have strong policy. And I think that we just need to go out there and get people um, excited about us. What's, why are you laughing? Oh my God, everyone, I know you can't see her, but she's literally looking at me and giggling. Hello. The fact that you can say that with so much confidence. I believe in it. Like I wouldn't be paying if I didn't. Like The same way you guys believe you won the 2017 election. We did very well in the 2017 election. <laughs> no, you didn't do very well. You won, apparently. You didn't lose it. That's what Labour Party like. Richard yeah. Burden said that a few like. Yeah, but you know he can't. He can't. You can't trust him to say stuff. I'm that's sorry, true. Oh, do you see that Jewish stuff? Anyway, oh, I've seen that the two shotdowns that he's had with Kay Burley. I mean, that's Wait, enough. Wait, hold on. Sad point. I'm getting lost. What? Sorry. <laughs> so, this is what know. happens with like political people. We go off tangent. Sorry, guys. Sorry. You go down a Twitter hole one day and then you come out. <laughs> and... A new woman. <laughs> a big woman. Okay, so I think is is best not. I, I don't think anyone can make an. Um, a judgment about what's going to happen because But you think that Labour are going to do well? I, I, I believe so And I want to believe so um, Again, like I said in the first um, uh, First podcast Like I'm a like, I, Listen <laughs> Listen, you guys talk about your party I'll come back in the end when you guys have calmed down <laughs> I think one thing that's really interesting That um, I guess the pundits Or the commentators or the researchers Are saying is that um, for Since because, you know, the, the the point is always the war. Since the Second World War, um, voter volatility has never been at the highest levels. People are more willing to vote for another party compared to what they vote for in the last election mm-hmm. than ever before. And a lot of people make their minds up in the ballot box, mm, in, the, yeah. in the booth. So, yeah, I think it will be very, very unpredictable and probably evens. I think we're going to have, what I would like to see is more political parties being represented at greater levels yeah um i would love to see more greens elected for we example will. we will love to obviously see more lib dems elected for example yeah. but i do think mm. that we need a political system that reflects multi-party politics yeah but i'm aware that's different from discussing the general election and the prospects but um, doesn't that give that. room to like people like the brexit party then yeah it does and it we does. have to be yeah, we have to be does. real does. That they to, yeah exactly they might they might actually pick up one or two seats like yeah especially because of how well they did in the european election like mm. We just have to take that into consideration. But I think, do you know, I think there's time for a new age politics, especially within this country. Like, I really want to see a hung parliament. I, w- I want parliament to be as frustrated again as it is now, because I think that will only breed better discussion and talking about, like, proportional representation, because we cannot move forward mm. with such divisive nature and just be so party political on these really broad issues like brexit is one huge thing that Mm. some people who otherwise wouldn't vote conservative are going to vote for conservative and brexit party say and vote for lib dem and vote for green all because of their view on brexit but general election wise that's a whole can of worms do you know what i mean Mm. that's completely different and so i think that it's really important that our parliament truly reflects the diverse nature of views and opinions and gets rid of just believing in something or not being able to be an MP anymore just because you don't agree with the government of the day on a particular issue. Like, the reality is we need to be more collaborative about how we think and move the country forward. Like, why are we so divisive within our own country when there's so much that we're going to have to contend against mm. in the real world. I like, can like mm. be building alliances with other countries and like trying to intervene in civil wars and great magnitude of things that are happening, including climate change. Like we have to be thinking more collaborative, collaboratively 
in life in order for our school to win. And to me, politics just seems so ridiculous that we are still this just divisive in nature. Like it's it's not beneficial. Look, we're mm. stuck. Like we've been in a three year stuck situation just because people don't want to say the real truth. Like what would have happened if Jeremy Corbyn was able to be truly honest about how he felt about the Europe, Europe yeah. and, and that alliance? And even if like the rest of the party didn't agree, that's absolutely fine. Like, let's just show like maturity in, in these discussions. And I think that would have meant that there wouldn't have been so much lies throughout the whole campaign had people been able to be like, this is why I believe in this for this reason. Mm. And I believe in that for that reason. Make up your mind. But it kind of it kind of came down to like, who can just flex their might the most mm. with as much money as they could. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you better preach it. Yeah. And, and I think um, we'll talk a bit more at the end about like what you think, of the, how you think the election is going to go and also your own platform and what you're running on and what you believe in. Um, but I wanted to get something from you, um, Tosin, about... Um, how you think uh, this election is going to go for the um, Tory party? Um, I think it's going to go okay. <clears throat> I'm not like super optimistic. Um, I mean, I think that we will be the largest party, but I don't know how much of a, of a majority that we'll get. I think it's in a, in a way what people are worried about is the Brexit party. And I think Nigel Farage's um, launch on Friday kind of actually works out in our favour. I think for the Conservatives, it's quite difficult to say that you're making a pact with the Brexit party because there will be some moderates in the Conservative party who will hands down never want that and don't necessarily subscribe to what the Brexit party stands for. So I think for Boris, it's kind of a good thing that he's not having to make that decision. Decisions have been made for him. And the second on the second point is the Brexit party, I think Nigel Farage is like, sort of cornered himself in a really difficult place because um I, I'm not sure this is going to go as well as he thinks like putting um candidates in every, every seat, seat. Yeah. um because what <clears throat> the sense that I get now is Brexit party members being frustrated with Nigel because they know or they think that um if the Lib Dems or Labour win that significantly reduces the chance of Brexit happening. So why wouldn't you support the Conservative Party um, where Boris actually has Instead a deal? of fracturing the... Yeah. yeah. So I think he's already starting, like we've already seen like a number of, I can't remember what seat he was, one of the Brexit Party candidates stood down and said he was supporting the Conservative candidate. And I think we'll see more of that. It's kind of the same cannibalisation in a way that happened with Change UK and the Liberal mm. Democrats. Mm. There's that kind of mm. emergent force who's taking advantage taking advantage of the frustration of a particular um, spectrum or belief in politics, trying to reinvent something new out of it. Yeah. But ultimately, the political system and other factors are just at play where it's not advantageous anymore to yeah. be the breakout. Yeah, and, and I think for know. Brexit, it's, it's, even, it's slightly different because they you don't really know what they stand for. Like, it's just like a one-party um, party where Change UK actually st- stood for something slightly more than just Brexit. Mm-hmm. And it was more about... Um, a new type of politics, mm. um, and yeah. So with the Brexit party, I think I think it's going to work well in in our favour. Fun fact um, is there have been rumours that Boris Johnson's likely to lose his seat. Um, so so that shout out to Ali, Ali Milani. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were rumours like 
I mean, it was a few weeks ago that he was going to try and move seats, um, like to a safe, a safer conservative seat. I don't think that he's actually going to lose it. I think it's going to be close. I think it will be quite embarrassing, but I think it's going to be close. Um, so we'll see about that. Um, another, you know, we wait. Hold on, just on that point. Imagine if. What I would think, be the? I've, what would be the? Do you know what I think? I've spoken to. PM I think lost I'd, his seat. Would no longer be the I've, PM. <laughs> yeah, no, but just a bloke. Would we be running to? No, I think yeah, elections I, at the same time, like because conservatives will have to do like an internal yeah election, and then somebody will have to like. But that would take a few in. weeks. So they'd have to rewrite the rules to make it quick, so that someone could go to the Queen, to yeah, the government. If if well, they because, were the no, successful but he, he was, yeah, he would still be PM though. Like he stops being PM, although he doesn't have a seat. So fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Mm. It's, yeah, it'll be interesting. We should work out that it's scenario fun. and put it on our tour. Yeah, that yeah. Would be, it sure is a precedent, but it's a good about. constitutional little. Oh. But, but then another seat that's projected to lose for us to lose is the Chingford and Wood Green, yeah. which is Ian Duncan Smith, who yeah. was a form, who is a former Conservative Party leader. Um, so there are some seats that are looking like we're gonna lose, but there are some like really good target seats that we're looking at, such as such as Croydon yeah. Central. That's one that we're really pushing. Well, everyone knows that. That's one that we're really pushing for. Um, so I, I don't yeah, know. How have you been pushing for that, actually? What do you mean? No, just pushing for Croydon Central. Like, what sort of stuff, engagement have the Conservative Party done? Well, they've just got, like, lots of, um, like, CCHQ backing, get, getting lots of people involved and going there to campaign. Was that um, Gavin Barwell's yeah, seat? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So we've got Mario Crotura in that seat. Um so he's like a CCHQ breed. Um, so, yeah. So there are lots of seats that are looking hopeful. Um, but what I would be interested in doing, maybe next couple of weeks, is looking at the number of women who are standing. Mm. I think that will be interesting. And also ethnic minority. Yeah. To be fair, I, never, I haven't seen a black woman being selected for candidates. So Conservative Party, I don't know what's going on, but y'all need to... I, I don't think I've seen any, apart from the ones that are already standing. Oh, really? Like, right. I've seen like... Black Lib Dems, I've seen like Black Greens, I've seen Black Labour. Like over yeah. the weekend, there were like three or four Loads. Black Labours yeah. and women who were selected. In safe seats I'm, as well. Yeah, I'm yet to see, even in non-safe seats, I'm yet to see one Black woman selected. That's interesting. And I've seen lots of Black women in the party. Do you think it's a, a case of them not pushing women forward? Or do you think it's a case of people seeing how many Conservative women particularly had to stand down mm. from their seats? Like high-profile women... Um, and the abuse they've received and knowing that as a woman of colour the abuse that you receive is going to be squared tripled like especially as a black conservative woman as well I I don't know I think that I I don't maybe but I don't think that that's the main reason I think probably the main reason is that there probably aren't that many black women on the candidates list to begin with for them to have a go at actually standing for these seats so especially when the the election campaign is re- is a really short one where CCHQ has had to like push people mm. really quickly. There, there isn't enough time to get more people on the candidates list. It's just like what we've got now, we've got to use. Mm. So maybe that's the fault of the party in not like developing mm. women or black women to be, to be on the candidates list and to, to actually be able to win a seat selection. Um, so Yanita, you know, we still have some time, but I'd <laughs> do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> like me Hi I'm, <laughs> You know I'm on the candidates list But you know Let's have a chat If anyone's listening to this um, Mel Is there anything you wanted to um, Talk about from um, The Lib Dem side Well I think It's safe to say We're going into this election With cautious optimism <laughs> um, I think charts 
Oh, we're fond of them. <laughs> I can't the do this again. From the other day. <laughs> that was wild. Wild. That asterisk was doing a lot. We've addressed this on another episode. No, I'll have you. Oh, Sorry. Let's say, let's just bring that out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this again. Please <laughs> reference my earlier words on the subject. <laughs> um, but I think, no, I think we're going to do, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I am optimistic. It's it's a good feeling, I think, for us. We have a good manifest. Well, we will, I'm sure, have a good manifesto with good policies in it. Um, we have um, a good leader. I think she's, I, I really like Joe Swinson. Um I think it will be, and I'm glad that she's also being included in the Sky debate between um, the Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. I think it will be good to have um, her involved and have a platform. Um, but yeah, I think there are some seats that we're obviously quite confident with doing in. Um, so I suppose it will be down to whether or not, I think also what's important to note is um, the collaboration that we're reaching out to the Greens, for instance, implied, I think there's a lot of discussion there about how we can best sort of support each other. And I do think it's an it's an element of, on the one hand, sort of political canniness, like, um, you know, using the best that we can to make the best advantage for, for winning, but also trying to be supportive of other parties because we want to see more parties in Parliament. So I think we are putting our money where our mouth is. Um and, and sort of trying to trying to lead by example, I suppose. Yeah. Just on that point, though. So what Mel's referring to previously in the 2017 election, we coined as the Progressive Alliance, and that was having like private conversations with other parties to like stand down and not have competition amongst ourselves because we're quite similar in different ways. Um, we're quite similar, sorry. And so having um, smaller parties go against each other would just be a bit um, resource intensive, mm. and so. That actually flopped in 2017 and I was really angry with um, not even the Green Party, but more so the Lib Dems for not seeing the potential of what we could have done at the time. Um, There were a lot of not coming to the table, not having an open discussion about like certain seats not standing in. And even Labour, there was discussions about like, don't put so much effort into... Brighton and Hove because we've got Caroline Lucas, who's absolutely amazing. Everyone, Lords has been a great MP. So it's like, why go so hard for her seat? Do you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> and so I, I going into this new election, um, I was quite open in saying like, and I'm sure a lot of other members were saying, what, don't do this again, because we are the ones who get put on the back foot and get told that, you know, well, we, we don't have that level of representation within certain areas and don't put in energy in certain areas and therefore people vote for other parties and we suffer for it. Mm. So now that the discussion seem more positive, I'm like watching this space, but I, I'm not hopeful because I just think I remember what happened last time and two years ago we we got burnt. Yeah, no, mm. I think that's fair to say. I think I'm not obviously like too privy to many of the conversations that go on. Um, but I do, I would, I get the feeling that there's been, I would definitely say lessons learned and things acknowledged. And what I think is interesting is you raised the Progressive Alliance and now it's kind of morphed into the Remain Alliance, mm. um, which true. is why I think it's the Progressive Alliance had more of an, influence from the Labour Party and there were I think as well some conservatives who I can't remember I think there was maybe one or two maybe that's just not factually correct but I'm trying to try to be inclusive and my memory's <laughs> hazy <laughs> but I think um with it being now the Remain Alliance the stakes are slightly different the opinions the opinions are, are more skewed mm. um so yeah I do agree watch this space but um who knows hopefully it will have some really positive um consequences for our political system mm. I don't mm. know yeah. fingers crossed um I just wanted to say um, that I do um, off the back of 
um, conference this year, I am excited about the things that we're going to be doing. And um, people are um, skeptical about um, the things that Labour can do, um, given, you know, Brexit, Jeremy Corbyn, anti-Semitism, all those sorts of things. Um, and I think that we have really exciting people standing. There's yeah. Ali Milani, who's in... Um, in Uxbridge, who's um, running against Boris Johnson, and I, I knew him from back in, in um, the, from the National Union of Students. Um, he's a great orator, and I know that he has great politics, and I'm really excited about that. There's the black women that have been put in safe seats who are guaranteed basically a seat in Parliament, which is also very yeah. exciting. Um, and yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited about um, the campaign, and I can't wait to like get out there and like you know knock on doors, even though it's going to be cold. Um, and uh, that's a good question, though. Is everyone going to be part of the campaign? Like, are you going to go and support in certain areas and go door knocking, or is that not what you prefer to do? And is there other ways that you like to support in the general election? Mm. Um, I think I probably won't be door knocking as much, um, but probably get involved in um, through the through CCHQ, which is the party headquarters, and doing some some stuff internally um which is a different style of campaigning so some of the things that you could do there is like media monitoring you might do some calls as well call canvassing rather than knocking on doors i think there are other ways well as opposed to knocking on doors you need people who can come up with like election strategies as well um yeah so that sort of stuff Mm. i probably will be doing yeah, I'll definitely be out canvassing for Julia, who is running in Camberwell and Peckham. Yes, yes. Um, so she's taking on the mother of the house, Harriet Harmon. It's going to be a very interesting oh, yeah. campaign and I'm so proud um, to be yeah. supporting her and really proud of Southern Liberal Democrats as well. For I mean, she was, you know, obviously a great candidate, but, um, you know, for, for choosing amongst themselves, because we have it, like most parties, I think, where the local constituency party chooses their candidate and, mm. you know, they've They've got a really strong contender and I'm very proud. Well, that leads perfectly on. So, oh, um, I, was, I was just going to say yeah. that Julia's really lucky that um, Harriet Harman wasn't elected a speaker. Yes. Oh, I'm going to say it. Um, because when, usually when a speaker is um, elected, that person then runs unopposed in the general election, although sometimes they have been opposed. So that means that actually if Harriet Harman were to be selected a speaker, then um, Julia would not have a seat to stand in. Yeah. So, so yay, Julia. Yay, yay Lisa Lindsay Hoyle. <laughs> this is why we like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that leads perfectly on because we also have a potential member of parliament in our midst um, in the form of Aziz, who's running um, in Raynham and Dagenham for um, MP. So I wanted to give her the floor so she can talk a little bit about um, how she's campaigning, what you're campaigning for and um, what your hopes for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the main thing I, I always want to talk about when I'm, I talk about the fact that I'm standing, I've stood for political office in various different forms um, since 2015. So I think I've done it like five or six times, including like local elections. The thing for me is that as people of colour, as young black women, you know, we deserve our voice and our interest to be heard. And unless you are there standing in the corridors of power, you won't be heard. Um, and so I think because I have the energy and I, and I don't take this for granted, like I have the political interest, I have the time. Um, I know a lot of people who might be politically inclined who, you know, argue with their radio when they're driving to work or, or on their way commuting wherever, that they're interested in current affairs, but they don't feel like they can engage. Um, and I always want to ensure that with my platform and with me standing that I don't 
I, that I remember that there are people who care about politics um, and try to ensure that their voices are also heard. Um, and and by and by doing that, I stand for the Green Party. I think they're the party that obviously I would say that most aligns with my values, but also speaking up for people who don't get heard in ordinary politics. Um, you know, for the Greens, a lot of people only see them as people who care about the environment and only people who hug trees. Like if you think about just the concept of what those stereotypes are. I think a lot of different communities can recognise there's been times in history where they have been demonised or stereotyped for having particular characteristics that people don't actually see beyond them and see the depth of them. And so for me, I was actually drawn to the Green Party mainly for social justice reasons. And when I talk about social justice, I'm talking about um, proper policing, like a policing service, not a force, something that works with us, that thinks about punishment not only being the way in which we can correct our society or make improvements but thinking about you know what are the push factors in people getting into crime or getting into toxic um, forms of behavior and attitudes and then talking about social justice in the context of like welfare and how do we live like what are our homes like I mean a lot of people at the moment are living in situations where they have cold homes they have moldy homes they might have heating and other issues and basic things that the Green Party are talking about is why don't we have a campaign where we can retrofit some of those homes so that people can, you know, have a place to live that feels safe and secure. And I think just on the base, on a basic level, those things are really important to how we feel safe in our communities, how we feel safe within our homes and how we can also save money so that we can go and provide for our family and go harder. And so that everything that we're doing for our families and our communities, we can have to spend on ourselves. Um, and I think that concept alone is the reason why I'm I'm so for the Green Party, because I think it's more about thinking of how we can work collaboratively rather than just for the self-interest. And so, yeah, that's what I'm standing on. That's what I'm working towards. Um, a lot of my campaign is going to be social media based um, because I think there's a way to engage people on that level. Um, but I'm really interested to see what this party is going to look like, um, this election is going to look like generally and just how it's going to unfold, particularly because the area that I'm standing for voted mainly for leave. Mm. Um, and the Green Party's position isn't that. And actually my position isn't 100% aligned yeah. to the Green Party anyway. So, right. But I have the liberty to, to be able to Listen, express speak that. your speech. You've been given some excellent monologues today. Like, damn. Mm. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, that is our show this week. Um, once again, make sure you get in touch and have a conversation on hashtag the consensus and follow us on all our socials. Mm-hmm. And we shall see you very soon. Bye. Bye.